The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Protests outside libraries, book banning, book burning. Is this a harbinger of political and civil strife to come? Well, it's not something new. It did happen in other places, Nazi Germany, for instance. But currently in the United States, there are regular book burnings by people from the far right. I'm joined by Irish Times journalist, historian and author Ronan McGreevy, and also by senior analyst with the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, Kieran O'Connor. Good morning and welcome to you both. Um, Ronan, we'll go to you first in terms of the historical uh, echoes that we're getting here with talk of book burning and book banning. Well, it's a very serious, um, a very serious development, really. Um, I suppose the most famous book burning in history, uh, burning in history, is the uh, Nazi book burning, which occurred in May 1933, which was a couple of months after the Nazis uh, came to power, and uh, there were book burnings. Uh, in 34 universities, and the impetus for it came not from the Nazi party itself, but from uh, German university students um, who felt that um, it was time to sort of purge uh, Germany of, of kind of un-German literature as they... So what were they started. burning? What kind Well, of they were burning, burning books that were associated with the Weimar Republic between 1918 and 1933. Very famous example is Eric Marie Remarque's famous book, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, which was made into a big film last year. The two brothers, Heinrich and Thomas Mann, who were associated with it. Um, of course, any Jewish authors, Karl Marx, who happened to be Jewish and left wing, Sigmund Freud, and then people like Ernest Hemingway, uh, who you wouldn't think, but Ernest Hemingway was regarded as, as being uh, anti-war. So there was all of those kind of, any author that they deemed to be either left wing, Jewish, liberal or so on, so on, uh, those, those books were confined to the flames. Do we know what the general population thought of this book burning? Was there a tacit approval of this, uh, I suppose, anti-Semitic, by and large, behaviour? Well, we, do, we don't, because I, I guess living in a totalitarian state, it's very difficult to gauge what people felt about it. There was shock obviously worldwide about it, certainly. And even at that stage in 1933, the Germany would have banned most newspapers or most most uh, uh, media outlets that could possibly have have um, uh, 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 countered this, this, this book burn. So we don't really know in a totalitarian state how people felt about it, but um, it was certainly po- very popular in Nazi circles. Um, Kieran O'Connor, Senior Analyst with the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. Uh, Kieran, what exactly is the Institute, first of all? Uh, the ISD is an independent NGO based out of the UK, but myself and another colleague are based here in Ireland. So we uh, focus on researching, analysing online, <clears throat> online hate, online extremism and mis- and disinformation, those kinds of topics. So what are you learning about this tendency to want uh, certain kinds of books banned, certain kind of topics um, just not introduced or allowed to be introduced into the general uh, conversation? Yeah, well, the main focus of banning or, or, or trust to burn books in terms of our work relates to the calls for the removal of LGBTQ books that are perceived to be inappropriate for supposedly sexualizing or indoctrinating or in some terms grooming uh, young people and the people uh, oppose these books um, they either enter libraries this has been happening in the US for the last few years and more recently here in Ireland they typically enter libraries they um, throw invasive or maybe direct accusation questions at staff asking them if they are okay with this material being on the shelf but really it's it's about 
this idea of banning books to protect children, but really what it is at the core of it is, is rejecting the very idea or the community that these books speak to. So LGBTQ plus positive material in that instance. Now, in our public libraries, uh, such material is available, but in what way is it re- available? The, the notion that uh, children can walk in and access this stuff off the shelves, is that what's happening? Well, uh, children get library cards with uh, permission from their parents and their parents are involved, uh, hopefully, at every step of the way. I mean, it's important to remember that uh, this book does deal with some, I suppose, possibly awkward or, or kind of more grown-up material for, for older teenagers in some instances. But it's also important to remember that none of these books are mandatory. No books are being forced on, on children or teenagers. And any access to these kinds of resources or materials should really be a kind of conversation or, or a kind of partnership between young people and their parents. Now, how extreme has uh, the action been in terms of trying to either confront librarians or get the books physically off the shelves. I mean, there's a way of doing this. If you can borrow a book, you can borrow it and then burn it yourself at home and never give it back. You will be fined by the library, I presume. Uh, But any of that kind of thing going on? Yeah, yeah, true. Well, starting in in February and March in Cork, one group of protesters there entered the library in the city five weeks in a row and many times more since demanding staff take LGBTQ titles off the shelves. Uh, As I mentioned, invasive questions, direct accusations have been routinely thrown at at staff. In that same library, uh, protesters repeatedly asked staff if they had children themselves, for instance, and told them they should be ashamed. During similar incidents uh, around the country, protesters asked for the the lib- who's the librarian to be held accountable for bringing these books into the library, and that kind of confrontational style is it's quite deliberate, it seems. And a lot of these interactions are designed to be recorded and shared online to to further spread these claims that these books are indoctrinating and so on. And but they also have the have the effect of making targets of the institution and its staff. And lastly, what we've seen, which is particularly worrying, is that Cork City Library recently had to close its doors over threats of violence related to many of these protests, which is a, a dangerous, dangerous territory to be getting into. Now, how many of those protesters are people who actually really believe in uh, trying to limit their children's access to uh, this material? And how how much of the protest would be more about a fundamental right-wing ideology and the using it, if you like, for political protest rather than really being that specifically concerned about the books? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Pat. Um, the banning or kind of uh, erasure almost of these books, it's said to be about protecting children, but it's not. It, it's it's rejecting that very idea that the, the books represent. And really also what is happening in Ireland, at least, it's, it's, it's a manufactured moral panic that's been imported, uh, adapted and adopted by, by local figures here, borrowing tactics and rhetoric from similar movements in, in the US. Um, in this instance, this kind of uh, backlash towards LGBTQ material, it's really a sign of, of creeping homophobia and creeping transphobia as well, I suppose. So it's, it's a total rejection of these materials and the communities they represent. It's, it's, it's really not about the children. The children is the kind of um, the campaign front material, but it, it, no, it's, it's about rejecting these communities totally.
Now, we want to play you something. This is a Tennessee pastor, Greg Locke, who held a public book burning. He encouraged congregation members to bring books dealing with witchcraft, like Harry Potter and Twilight, believe it or not. He's uh, the leader of the Global Vision Bible Church, and he held the book burning to reportedly fight Masonic and occult influences in society. I ain't breaking bread with witches. You hear me? In Jesus' name, I'll call the spirit forth that's inside you and we'll expose you for who you are right up here in these cedar chips up in this house. We'll expose you for who you are. I ain't breaking bread with demons. I ain't breaking bread with Freemasons. I ain't breaking bread with occultism. So we're not going to prostitute communion by letting some witch curse us up in this house tonight. Your witchcraft has to flee in the name of Jesus. We'll be down at the fire. If you brought some things, we have things out there, we have things for the office, we have a lot of stuff in the back, all right? Extraordinary, absolutely. Ronan, uh, we're unlikely, I hope, to hear stuff like that in this country, but we did have uh, our own censorship of books back we, in the day. We had a notorious regime uh, of censorship, not just of books, but of films and everything like that. I mean, I suppose the most famous example is The Country Girls by Etna O'Brien that was banned in, in the 1960s. Borstal Boy was banned. Catcher in the Rye. I think there's approximately 10,000 titles that were burned, or sorry, that were banned rather than now, burned. The, yeah. the difference, though, in the United States, the people who are turning up yeah. for the book burnings and the CD burnings, the DVD burnings, yeah. Um, they want to burn them, whereas in Ireland, the censorship people banned books like Catcher in the Rye yeah. or The Country Girls, and we all wanted to read them. Yes, that's it. And, 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 and it's a Streisand effect. You know, you ban something, then everybody wants to read it. We're not the only country, by the way, that, that, that banned books. I mean, Britain famously banned Lady Chatterley's Lover by D.H. Lawrence. And of course, everybody wanted to get a hold of that book as a result of it being banned in 1961. Um, so uh, censorship has a long, uh, ignominious history in this country, as it does in a lot of countries. Um, so uh, going back to uh, Kieran, uh, what to do about uh, these kind of things? I mean, you can give them the oxygen of publicity and they draw publicity on themselves when they cause a public library to be closed. But are they best ignored? <laughs> Uh, I, I think so. Yes. Uh, on the what to do about these kinds of groups. Yes. I ignoring them is um, the best way to go. But for the for the library staff or people who are kind of on the front line, uh, it's important that they are supported and they are protected when needs be. If it's if there's a if there's a violent protest in the, in the make outside, then we must see Gardaí perhaps take better, quicker, swifter action against these kinds of things. But also we're starting to see um, this kind of protest movement starting to direct its attention towards teachers and the curriculum. So I, I do think that in the coming weeks and months, we're going to need further protections and support for, for the educators in this country as well, because as, as you mentioned there, the, these groups are um, dogmatic almost in, in their belief. There's, there's no real are debating with them. They're not acting in good faith. They really are only interested in, in shutting down debate and rejecting communities that these books uh, represent. Yeah. Uh, the, the final question, though, is about uh, people, parents who have a particular view of uh, the world and want to protect their children, whether they're right, whether they're wrong. They are the parents of the children. They have parental responsibilities and they may feel uh, quite strongly about the presence of certain kinds of literature available openly in public libraries. What do you say to those parents who say, you know, we have our concerns and we have a right to be respected uh, about those concerns? 
Oh, I 100% agree with them. They do have a complete right to raise their children as they wish to instill their own moral ethos with their children and raise them in, the, in that regard. That's totally acceptable. Uh, these books are not mandatory reading for any young person. <clears throat> They're not, you know, no young person is being made to read these books. So if a child uh, is entering a library, I hope that it's done in, again with kind of consultation and discussion with the parents themselves and that the parents deem some material to be uh, inappropriate or that their child maybe isn't quite ready for that material, then they simply don't need to read that book. Absolutely not. They're not mandatory. All right. And, and uh, Ronan, uh, finally, to the lessons from history. Well, you know, uh, Heinrich Heine, the, the, the German poet, said that, you know, once you start burning books, you'll soon start burning people. And that was true as well. So, uh, I mean, I think we cannot uh, we cannot take what's happening for granted. We can't just uh, suggest that this is just a fringe element that'll blow over. These, these type of uh, people who are who would censor books like this need to be confronted. All right. Uh, Kieran O'Connor, senior analyst with the Institute of for Strategic Dialogue and uh, Ronan McGreevy, Irish Times journalist, historian and author and author of the forthcoming book uh, with Tommy Conlon which is called The Kidnapping. It's about the kidnapping of uh, Don Tidy in 1983. It's coming out next month and I look forward to talking to you uh, about that story. Uh, Don being a personal friend of mine so I'm uh, interested to read that book when it comes out. Ronan, uh, thank you very much. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.